Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. 
Learn more at ship.com slash high. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, surprise, it's me. It's a Monday. Uh, you're not normally used to hearing my voice on a Monday, but we have a special uh, episode that we're bringing to you today. We kind of thought about this last minute, and I thought, man, everything that's happening in the world with Ukraine and Russia and, and refugees, I just want to talk about this. And I knew I wanted to talk about this with someone that I could trust, uh, someone that loves the Lord and really is going to bring us the best uh, information that we could possibly get. And so I called my friend, Jenny Yang, who works at World Relief, and said, hey, we jump on on Friday afternoon. We actually recorded this live on Crowdcast. So we had some people who joined us live to watch, but we recorded it and we're releasing it to you today because I think it's important. Uh, It's really important for us. Jenny says real early in this conversation, she said, for those of us who follow Jesus, there's a specific calling for us to care about what's going on in our world. And I think there's probably three different people, people who care a whole lot about everything that's going, people who want to care, but really don't know how, and then people who are kind of oblivious. And wherever you are on that spectrum, I think that you're going to get some good nuggets of truth and encouragement today from Jenny. Uh, Jenny works with World Relief. Uh, She works through the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Uh, They identify local church partners on how to best serve their neighbors. And so she is in a lot of policy meetings, and she is understanding what's happening here. Sometimes this uh, conversation and what we're seeing happening in Ukraine and Russia and in the past and other areas of our of our world that have gone through uh, civil war and things that aren't affecting us immediately in our day to day here in America uh, can feel uh, can feel scary and can also feel very far away and it can feel impossible to wrap our brains around. And the last couple of weeks have felt heavy and difficult to know how to engage and how do I demonstrate that I care and what do I pray? Well, Jenny answers those questions. And I asked you guys last week on Instagram for some questions. And so we dive into that today. She talks to us how we can actually help here. Um, I ask her, do you think this is going to turn into World War III? Um, probably my favorite part of the conversation was real early when I said, how do we pray for people in Ukraine and in Russia? And I think her answer it might surprise some of you. It was convicting to me. So I'll leave it at that and you can listen. I also want to be fully aware that I live in America. And so a lot of this conversation I was having with Jenny was through um, that American lens. And I understand that we have listeners all around the world. And so I do think that this conversation is valuable to you as well. But I just want to tell you where I was coming from. Um and where most of the majority of our listeners um, are here in the States. And so I was coming to it from that uh, viewpoint. You guys, thanks for hanging out with us on a Monday. I think you're going to be happy that you sat and made time for this conversation. Uh, At the end of the conversation, Jenny tells us a ton of places where we could follow to get news that is reliable and that is going to help us kind of get an understanding to conflict that's happening. She gave a lot. I know you're not going to be able to write these down. And so to go to jamieivy.com and there's going to be uh, information there for you. All the people she recommended following, news sources. We really just want to get all of this information in your hands. So again, thank you, Jenny, for coming on. Thank you guys for being here. Here's my conversation with Jenny Yang that we recorded on Friday. Hey, Jenny, I um, am so grateful for uh, you joining me today on this literally like spur of the moment. Let's get together and chat. And we've got people here that are listening and watching live with us. And then as people that are listening to this later know, we're going to put it out on the happy hour uh, next week. And uh, I was just sitting last week thinking, I want to talk about this, but 
talking about things that are happening in the world sometimes feels, feels really scary for me. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I know who I can talk about this with, Jenny Yang. <laughs> so welcome. Thank you. Oh, it's such an honor for me to be with you and your community um, and really have this important conversation because there's so much happening in the world and it can feel really overwhelming. But I think if we lean into this together and really learn what's going on, but also practical things that we can do as a community together, I really think that we can engage in a way that reflects Christ's love in the world and really actually can make a difference on the ground. Well, why don't you introduce yourself and say what your job title is at World Relief? I don't know if you saw in my Instagram stories when I was like, Jenny Yang's coming. She works at World Relief. I don't know what she does, but she's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a long title and I have like official bio and everything. So that's maybe the the boring part of me. But um, so I, I work for an organization called World Relief. It is a Christian humanitarian relief and development organization that really responds to humanitarian disasters around the world. But in the U.S., we also serve the most vulnerable, which includes refugees and immigrants. So we work in 21 communities in the U.S. to resettle refugees and immigrants. And so our mission really is to work through the church to serve the most vulnerable. And so our our really core ethos and mission is to identify local partners on the ground, our staff and others and churches, and really empower them to serve their neighbors well. So at World Relief, I am the Senior Vice President for Advocacy and Policy, which means my job is to liaise with the U.S. government to track what they're doing and to press for policies and ideas that really can help the most vulnerable through our laws and and policies. And so um, I get the privilege of doing that at World Relief. I also have written some books and and speak about why the church should care about the issues that we're working on and how they can be empowered to, to serve and act as well. This is so great. And I got to spend some time with Jenny uh, in the fall. Both of us journeyed down to El Paso. We visited Juarez, Mexico. And Jenny really led our group uh, through a phenomenal workshop about immigration and, and really why we should care. And I think that's a question that some people are even asking. Let's As we jump into the conversation about what's happening on the other side of the world with Russia and Ukraine, um, there is this sentiment of like, why should we care? Like, wh- what does this matter to me? And um, I think that there's a lot of things that people worry about on a day-to-day basis, like in their own homes and in their own communities and within their own like churches and schools and wherever they are, that sometimes something on the other side of the world can feel like, well, do I need to care about this? So what do you say about why should we care about this? Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, we've all seen the devastating images and the video rolls again and again, and it's been something that has captured our attention because this is really the worst humanitarian crisis affecting Europe since World War II. And so really since that time, there really hasn't been, you know, foreign country that has invaded another testing the territorial sovereignty of that nation. And it's really testing the global community of what we're going to do in the face of such aggression. Um, And the consequence of that has been millions of people that are displaced, people who are trapped inside that actually cannot go out. These are some of the most vulnerable, like the elderly and sick who actually cannot take the physical journey to cross a border. And we have children who are having to leave their parents because they can't go with them. And so, you know, all of us have been, many of us have been struck by these images and these stories. And I think for those of us who follow Jesus, there's a specific calling from Christ to care about what's happening in the world, to engage with the brokenness of this world, because that is why he came into this world to reconcile the brokenness and the suffering and to offer a better hope. And so if if we as a church ignore what's happening in the world, I think we're going to develop a self-centered narcissistic faith that won't actually come to serve a world that Christ himself died to save. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we see what's happening in Ukraine, it can feel overwhelming. And there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. 
But I think God calls us to care for our vulnerable neighbors. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer together. And there are Christians in Ukraine that are suffering. There are also non-Christians in Ukraine that are suffering. And the global community really has to gather together and coalesce in, in response to this. Um, I would also say this. I think, you know, when you we're in a season of Lent where we're talking and really reflecting on what Christ's journey to this earth meant. And, you know, it says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the, the meek, blessed are the persecuted, blessed are the peacemakers. And if Jesus calls these specific groups of people blessed, then why wouldn't we as a church want to come near to these people? Why wouldn't we as a church want to learn from them and commune with them and do what we can to serve these people that are in very vulnerable situations? And so I think Ukraine has really opened our eyes to see the impacts of war on people who maybe even a month ago weren't anticipating that they were going to be separated from their families or, or not go back to school. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to be a light in the world, to shed light in places of darkness, and to really pray even more than anything and to get our spiritual activism going as much as our on the ground activism. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we can engage, but I do hope that we don't ignore what's happening and that we really use this opportunity to, to shed light on what we as a church can do. That's so beautifully said. And I think that that is something that has become even more prevalent in the older I get. I mean, the older you get, the more you like, oh, there's a big world out there besides what I thought there was in their 20s. I thought it was just about Jamie Ivy, you know, and then you grow up and you're like, oh, God, thank you for breaking my heart for what breaks yours. Um, and so that's a great uh, we ask our listeners for questions. And so I'm just going to go through questions with you. These are the things that people are wondering. I think it's great to have um, to have you here uh, for this conversation. So one of the questions that people sent in was, OK, I know I should pray for the people of Ukraine. What do I pray for the people of Russia? I mean, we've got two countries here that are being affected, and it's so often that we could just imagine the horrificness that's happening with the people in Ukraine. But what about the people in Russia? How do we pray for both of them? Yeah, I think that's a really important question, and I think that the nuance of the question is um, is interesting because the the questioner is saying, well. You have, you know, the Russians that are invading Ukraine, but the people of Russia may not be supporting the decisions of their government. And so mm -hmm. there has been, you know, various campaigns to educate the Russian people because a lot of them don't even know that there's a war going on. And, um, and you know, the people of Russia oftentimes are often suffering as well, in addition to the people of Ukraine at, at different levels. And so one of the things that's been re really interesting for me personally is as much as I've prayed for civilians in Ukraine that are impacted and for the neighboring countries. I've been praying personally for Putin, actually, mm. um, because it says, you know, to love your 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 neighbors, but to love your enemies as well and to pray for them. Mm. And so, you know, if there is any singular human being in this world that can change a situation, it's Putin. And yes, he is evil. He's he's waging a very unjust war on innocent civilians. And I've been praying that he actually has a change of heart mm. because he is someone that God calls us to pray for, to pray for our enemies. And so I think it's important that we pray for Putin. It's important that we pray for President Zelensky. It's important that we pray for the people of Ukraine, the people in surrounding countries that are welcoming a lot of these refugees, but also to pray for the people of Russia. Many people in Russia have been living under this dictatorship, have been living under Putin's rule. They've been living with repression of the press, uh, repression of women's rights. And so they've been living in this oftentimes insecurity and fear for many, many years. And so yeah. we're seeing the evidence of that happening and putting itself on other countries. But mm -hmm. I think, um, as the questioner was saying, being mindful that there are many people suffering in this conflict 
it's Ukrainians as well as Russians and others, and praying for both of those communities as well as others, I think is really important as we talk about what's happening there. It is important. It leads me to another question that someone sent in and they said, um, where's the balance? Like you just talked about in praying for our enemies and really wanting God to to smite them. Like I, I've heard people being conflicted of like, I just want Putin dead. Like that would be. And so as a follower of Jesus, like what do we do with that tension in our heart that like what you said is true is there's one person who could turn this whole thing around. And someone else would say, if this one person was gone, this whole thing would turn around. Potentially, we don't really know the reality behind that. But talk to that tension that believers might be feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a natural uh, reaction to want to take out the bad guy on the top. And yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's uh, fully understandable why, why folks say that. And I mean, the reason why I say I pray is because I, I do think that God can change the heart of the most evil mm -hmm. men and women in this world. I mean, you look at Paul and he was Saul and he was yeah. the greatest persecutor of Christians in yeah. the New Testament. And God literally turned his life around from a murder of Christians as someone who was talking about Jesus and Christ as a savior. And yeah. he was one of the greatest disciples in the New Testament. And so I say that because I don't think anyone is beyond redemption. And yes, Putin is an evil, evil figure um, who is manifesting severe evil on, and, on Ukraine and, and other parts of the world. Um, and so I, I think at a personal level that this is my personal opinion to, to be able to pray for Putin. Um, but at a policy level, it's a whole different conversation because governments are having conversations. What would it look like if we were to assassinate Putin? There's some elected U.S. officials that are saying we need to take this guy out while others are saying we can't do that. And I think, you know, what's important for especially our policymakers to consider is the fact that there's not just Putin, but there's an entire system that was built up around him that is supporting him and that is supporting his ideas and the propaganda that they're perpetuating. And so it'd be one thing to take one person out, but you have to think about what are the collateral consequences mm -hmm. of that decision, because you still have the system in place that propped up his ideas and has propaganda. And if it's not Putin, it could be someone who's much worse that occupies this position that actually perpetuates greater evil. And so, you know, you have to consider all of that into the equation that it's not just about taking out one guy. It's about, well, what if things could get worse because of that decision? Mm. Um, and it's not just about that one thing. But I think for those of us who follow Christ, you know, it is a very personal decision. And I, I would really ask that you pray for the things that God weighs on your heart specifically. Um, and that can include and should include, I think, praying for those who are affected by conflict as though as well as those who are perpetuating conflict. Yeah. And I mean, it's so true when you say it, we often forget, and I don't know why we forget that God is in the business of changing hearts. I mean, that's that's what that's what Jesus does for us um, and, and praying for that. You brought up policy and you work in the world of policy. And uh, another question some people are asking is when we see conflict like this, you know, that's quote unquote over there, you know, not right here in our own our own country and our own soil. How how should the United States respond? And there's. I mean, sometimes I'm hearing it's not enough or it's too much or what is what is your opinion on that, I guess? Yeah. So there's a couple, I think, options that the U.S. has been considering. And I, I do think this is going to go in phases because while we're seeing really two weeks of conflict, there's an estimation that this can go on for months, if not years. And so we're just in the beginning parts of a conflict. And so the U.S. has to consider those various options, not just right in the beginning, but as time goes on, depending on- Are you how seeing the conflict like we're seeing right now with ref people having, with 2 million people having to leave and people fighting for their lives? You're saying that could continue for years? Yes, indeed. And actually that's one of the things that kind of keeps me up at night is, is praying and wondering, God, when is this gonna end? Because if this goes on for another few years, which it very likely could, 
then uh, we're going to see continued casualties and continued people that are displaced. Um, and oftentimes I think about what happened in Syria and mm -hmm. oftentimes we look at that conflict and say, well, most Syrians that I've met all thought that the conflict was going to end in a few months, if not within a year. And it's still going on after about 10 years. And so mm -hmm. with with what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, I think you, you get that tension as well. And so the U.S. does have various policy options. So right now we do not want to put boots on the ground. We don't want to get engaged militarily. Ukraine is not a member of, the NA of NATO, which means that you know, there's only certain options we have right now. And so we're doubling down on economic sanctions. We're trying to strangle the Russian economy. We're trying to make take these economic steps so that Putin can wake up and say, well, this is a war he shouldn't have waged in the mm -hmm. first place. Um, but as we say that, I think it's important to remember too that there are levels of discussions happening at the highest levels of government. So President Zelensky of Ukraine and the Prime Minister of Russia, they're having uh, conversations um, and really trying to diplomatically resolve what has been a very, very tough issue. Mm. So far, these diplomatic talks have not resulted in any kind of peace agreement. And so as they continue to talk at the highest levels, you know, we're not really seeing any resolution. And so that is one area that I think we can really pray for because mm. we need these diplomatic talks to work. We need Zelensky and Putin to really somehow see eye to eye and really get to the table so that these the, this escalating situation won't continue to happen. Um, and so because the US right now is focused on economic sanctions and really strangling the, the Russian economy, um, you know, there's been talks, President Zelensky has been asking the US to send in um, or create a no-fly zone. Mm -hmm. And many of you may have heard of this, but there's a hesitancy to do that because anytime you create a no-fly uh, no zone, you have to shoot down any plane that crosses that zone um, which really will mean that the U.S. is engaging directly in military combat with Russia. And so the U.S. wants to avoid that at all costs. And so we haven't really um, honored the request or, or said that we would do that with Ukraine, even though that's been one of the top asks of President Zelensky. Now, the last thing that we could do, uh, which the president specifically has said we will not do, is actually put U.S. troops boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and so because that is not something that we're viably considering right now, um, we may consider that if this escalates into World War III and where um, other countries in Europe may be impacted. But for right now, that really isn't a policy option on the table. So, you know, you have what we're doing now, which is continue economic sanctions, which is, you know, can we consider, you know, no fly zone? But other than that, it's I think we have to be prepared to see more people displaced and more civilian you know, casualties, because right now it seems like Russia is, is escalating things and we just don't know uh, when that's going to yeah. end. What should we prepare for here as Christian Amer as Americans uh, if this does keep going for years? Like, what does that look like for us here? Yeah, I think one of the things that's been so striking to me about what's happening in Ukraine right now is how much the world is paying attention and almost on the same page in terms of caring about what's going on. Um, and uh, what's interesting is that you mentioned the Syria crisis because that's maybe another time when the world was paying attention. And back then... Uh, when Syria erupted into civil war, most of Europe did not want Syrian refugees entering and crossing their borders. In fact, there was a lot of fear that refugees were terrorists. And even in the U.S., the majority of U.S. governors said, do not bring Syrian refugees into my communities because there is this fear reaction. Mm -hmm. Now, with Ukraine, what's, I think, somewhat unique is that you see kind of a coalescing of public opinion on the need to help, on the need for surrounding countries like Poland and Romania to keep their borders open. And there's been this common response of support and protection for displaced Ukrainians. And so I think that is something that has been 
you know, eye-opening. Um, but my kind of call for the church right now is let's not have compassion fatigue where, you mm. know, six months, one year down the line, when there's continues to be conflict and we see these images ongoing, that we forget about what's going on or that we just say, well, this is just going to keep going on and I can't do anything about it. Um, mm -hmm. I will say right now that a lot of the things we're doing on the ground to help the immediate needs of Ukrainians is is literally saving lives. And I would say that a lot of our elected officials are hearing the message that they need to continue to press for diplomatic solutions to what's going on. And so I hope that we continue to engage, we continue to stay informed, we continue to raise our voice and to give because all of these things really matter for people on the ground, as well as our elected officials who are really in tough positions making very tough policy decisions. Mm -hmm. They really need to hear from us directly about what we care about and what we think they they uh, they should possibly do. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned earlier in the show that you and I met um, last fall. Well, we worked together last fall again at the border. There's a border crisis here in America with um, refugees and people seeking asylum from our southern border. And I'm in Texas, so it's right on my home front. And I've heard a lot of people bring up the discussion and the differences between how people are reacting to different types of refugees. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, our mutual friend, Bree Sendry, put on her uh, stories just yesterday. Um, the difference in, you know, I've seen some pictures of an 11-year-old boy, uh, Ukrainian boy, who walked however many miles for safety. And the comparison to a Honduras boy who shows up, uh, you know, with a, with a second cousin because his mom sent him to give him safety. And the different reactions that Americans are having. Do you see that different reaction? And, and what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I've also had similar thoughts, which is, you know, Poland is receiving over you know, a million uh, Ukrainian refugees and they're housing them. They're going to provide them with some kind of legal status, which is tremendous because it's going to go a long ways towards helping, you know, vulnerable Ukrainians. But I always wonder, well, what if a million people arrived at our border? How would Americans respond? Will our government be providing legal status? Would our churches be showing up at train stations and leaving strollers there for the refugees so that they can have some kind of assistance as they take care of their babies? And I've always wondered about that. And it, it does make me think about what's happening at our own border because, yes, the situation in Ukraine may be different in that there is another sovereign nation invading another right. sovereign nation, but yeah. the, the consequences of vulnerability are the same. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of people in Central America who oftentimes are facing conflict, maybe not by the government, but by local gangs, by, by militias who are operating on the ground. And when they flee, they're fleeing danger. They're fleeing mm -hmm. because they do not want to be recruited into a gang. They've seen their uncles, their cousins, their brothers killed, yeah. and they do not want to face the same situation. And so if these are individuals that are fleeing for their lives and entering into the United States, then I think we have a responsibility to, re to uh, react accordingly, which is to make sure that they can get processed, that they can stake their claim in front of an asylum court and get some kind of legal protection in the United States. Um, and in addition to that, having churches welcome them to receive them mm. and care for them as much as we can. And so, yes, I think I hope that what's happening in Ukraine, where we're coalescing around common support uh, for the people of Ukraine, also translates into our care and concern for refugees and asylum seekers that are actually arriving right to our own borders as yeah, well. Right here. Uh, another, on this same topic, another listener sent in a question and she said, I've heard from my black friends that there's mistreatment going on, um, I'm assuming with African uh, Ukrainians is what I, mm -hmm. I would assume she's speaking of, but not seeing in my news feeds. Can you tell us anything about this? 
Yeah, so there were reports of this early on, and the New York Times, for example, did a story on this where they somewhat verified the fact that there were many Black migrants, um, Ukrainians, who were actually being turned away at the border. And so it it's the UN has said that they've noticed the same thing, that they've intervened with the authorities. And so the authorities are supposed to let in really anyone and everyone who's fleeing conflict, regardless of who you are, your immigration status in Ukraine, or the, the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. But I do think the fact that there were Black Ukrainians and Black migrants who were turned away at the border really goes to show you how racism oftentimes um, gets baked into um, you know systems of protection where people, because of their color of skin or their immigration status, can't get the same protections, even though they're fleeing the same circumstances. Yeah. And so um, in Ukraine, I think what's interesting is that there were thousands of refugees that actually went to Ukraine to find shelter and safety because Ukraine was considered a very safe country. Mm. And now the conflict has erupted in Ukraine. Many of these people that were trying to make Ukraine their home are now having to flee again. And so you have vulnerability compounded upon vulnerability and people who really are trying to seek safety somewhere. And so mm. it has been disappointing to hear about these reports. They have been verified. Um, and so I think right now it's a matter of pressing the authorities to make sure that they let in everyone and, and ensuring that even if you had stu a student visa, refugee status in Ukraine, no matter what your immigration status was, that you're able to find some kind of protection in the surrounding countries as well. I didn't even think that some of these um, people fleeing would have fled to Ukraine uh, as a refugee from another uh, situation. And that is just trauma upon trauma upon trauma uh, for these people. Another listener sent in this question. They said, how likely is it this conflict leads to World War III? Yeah, that is really hard to, to estimate. I mean, I think right now everyone's trying to get into the mind of Putin to see how much he's willing, how far he's willing to go. Mm -hmm. I think what's really concerning right now is that, you know, there are um, what we saw in Syria. It's just another example because we saw a lot of displacement in the beginning. We saw, you know, toe-to-toe -to -toe combat. But then um, there was an escalation where there was the use of chemical weapons and biological weapons. And Right now, our, our our elected officials are trying to figure out whether or not Putin is going to go there, and if so, what that's going to mean for the international community. And so, I think you know, there's concern that it is going to escalate, that things may get worse. And so, I think right now, the strategy of the United States and the European Union is contain it within Ukraine so that it doesn't become World War Three. Yeah. Um, it's too early to determine whether or not that strategy is actually effective and whether or not that's working. But what we know is that that is on the minds of European leaders and U.S. leaders, which is we do not want this to become World War III. So doing everything to beef up Ukrainian defenses, beef up their military, give them all the support they need to basically repel Russia back to Russia is mm -hmm. really what they're focused on. And so hopefully, you know, that'll work. Um, but if not, I think we have to be prepared, but really pray that that's, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, another question is, how many Ukrainians does World Relief anticipate being resettled in the U.S.? Yeah, so that's a great question because um, a lot of people don't realize that just a few years ago, Ukrainians were the second largest nationality of refugees to arrive into the United States. Oh, I, I would so, have never guessed that or thought. Yeah, yeah so nearly 20,000 Ukrainian refugees were resettled to the United States over the past 20 years. And the uh, World Relief was actually the refugee resettlement agency that resettled the largest percentage of Ukrainians because a lot of them were coming in as persecuted Christians, actually. Uh, and so uh, oftentimes when we talk about refugee resettlement to the United States, it's really 
a, a solution of last resort. And so when you talk about a new conflict, most people are thinking, well, what is it going to take to to have these people go back home? Or what is it going to take for Ukrainians to integrate into Poland and, and really to stay there? And so resettlement won't really enter largely into the conversation until later on. But I do think that the U.S. government will likely look at what does it mean to engage in responsibility sharing. So if Poland has over a million refugees, we should take you know some portion of them. And so I don't know what the numbers are going to look like. Probably our ceiling for intake of refugees for this year is 125,000. And so, you know, it could be several thousand. It could be more than that over the past um, next few years. And what we know from the Syrian refugee crisis is that we resettled 8, 10, 12,000 Syrian refugees a year um, under President Obama. And so under President Biden, it could be that uh, we see a need to resettle that many as well. Wow. What did you say our, our number was for this year? Yeah. So our refugee ceiling is 125,000. Okay. So that means that we can accept that many. Now, we've only resettled 7,000 refugees out of that number. So it's a very, very small number. But we are pushing the administration to ramp up resettlement of, of many populations, but now also including Ukrainians as well. Mm. Um, in fact, we because World Relief has so many Ukrainians on our staff, as well as Ukrainians that we've resettled, during the beginning of the conflict, they reached out to us because they said, I want to apply for my you know, brother or sister overseas. And right now we're having conversations with the government because this person was tr trying to get a visa, but then this person had to flee into Poland. So we're asking the State Department to continue the processing of the visa for this brother because he's in Poland right now. And so yeah. hopefully the, the State Department will continue to do that. Someone's asking in our chat, if you're listening to this, we recorded this live on um, Friday, but for you guys that are here, someone's asking, is that is our number, is 125,000 or whatever you said, is that a lot? Uh, that feels like a big number. Yeah, so it is a, a generous number, I would say, but also when you look at the number of refugees around the world, the U.S. still resettles less than half of 1% of the world's refugees. So if you look at the fact that Poland has received over a million refugees, the fact that we're asking and, and can resettle 125,000 is, is I think, an appropriate number, I would say. Um, and I would also say that, you know, just last year, we evacuated over 70,000 Afghan refugees. And so our networks, the churches that we work with, the volunteers that we have, are all ready and willing to continue to support refugees coming into the United States. And so I think 125,000 is an appropriate number. I think it's a good number to respond to the global needs that we're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thank you for explaining that. Uh, someone asked here, how do we help the Ukrainians that are currently living in our cities right now? We're here in America. We've got Ukrainians. What can we do for them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I've seen a lot of things happening actually at the local level. There's been a lot of uh followers of Jesus that are actually going into Ukrainian Orthodox churches, um, sitting in the back and praying with them. I saw um, a tweet once where there's a group of Korean American Christians that sat in the back of a Ukrainian church on Sunday a few weeks ago and just worship with them. And wow. that show of solidarity was really kind of so encouraging to the Ukrainian church. And so um, I think that's the right question because we have to ask who are the Ukrainian organizations and communities in our midst? You know, what can we do to support them? And I would definitely reach out to them and ask, you know, what is it that you need? How can I help? Um, and showing up at their church services, attending their community events. 
you know, why don't we host some kind of protest or rally and organize it with the Ukrainian community? Mm. I've seen a lot of kind of public displays of support for Ukrainians. And I think all of that is a public demonstration of our concern for what's happening there and, and what we can do to support them. That's really good. Ginny, you have kids. How old are your kids? So I have two boys. Uh, David is six and Joel is three. All right. I got a lot of listeners who are also in the same boat as you parenting. And I told my daughter on the way to school today that I was going to be talking with you and she's 14. And I'm like, do you have any questions for her? And she's like, no. And I said, so you understand everything that's happening? She's like, yeah. I was like, no, you don't, because I don't know what's happening. <laughs> but I think a lot of people right now are saying, how do we talk to our kids about this? I mean, obviously age appropriate, but what are some of your little encouragement bits for parents, mothers, fathers, grandparents, aunts, uncles that are listening? How do we talk to young kids about what's happening right now in Ukraine? Well, I think it's so important for us as parents, even when we feel like we can't impact what's happening on the ground there, that we just start in our own homes because, you know, we have an opportunity to really educate and, and disciple our kids into having a growing understanding of what's happening in the world and what they can do to respond. So even with my kids, I, I mentioned they're six and three, I've been telling them actually what's happening in Ukraine. I've said that there is a war going on in which uh, there's um uh, forces that are coming in where people don't feel safe at home and they're fleeing into another country. And so even my son's asked, is that like almost every day? He's like, is that still happening? <laughs> Cause he's curious thing about, you're talking about yeah. yeah, like that war. And, um, I've, you know, I've even asked him questions like if you had to flee, like, mm. what would you take with you? Like, what are your most important possessions? And, and, um, he's actually, when I told him about it, he said, can I see pictures? And so I pulled up, I actually turned the TV on, but there was no news show. So I, I pulled up my phone and I just showed him some images from my local you know, newspaper, just yeah. showing him the effects of war and, and it helps him visualize what's going on. And so, you know, it's interesting because when you look at a lot of children's books and other literature, you know, there is um, this understanding of like good versus bad right. or or fighting and 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 not at the global or national scale, but I think kids do understand that. And I think humanizing it for 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 our kids and not being afraid to talk about it, um, I think is important. And of course, at night we we pray for the people of Ukraine, and mm -hmm. I think it really instills in our children a, a deep level of empathy for what's happening in the world. And so I would encourage parents to to not shy away from the conversations, okay. but to join together in prayer prayer for Ukraine. That's really good. Here's another question that came in, and I think I understand her question. I'll say it out loud and see if we both understand it. Uh, this listener said, can you talk about the difference in our, the West, view of further danger or even need to be considered compared to those in Europe? Um, I believe she's asking, what's the difference in our danger here versus those um, in European countries? Danger posed by the refugees or? No, I don't think this is, has anything to do with the, I think about the war and what's happening there. Like, Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, the president is doing what he can to really contain the violence and, and the conflict to uh, to Ukraine. And so really what you see in Putin is a calculation that this is his first step to reestablishing Russian identity and Russian dominance in the world. And so no one knows whether or not that's going to extend to greater parts of Europe or even to the United States. But I think that's why the president has been very reluctant and and not considering engaging militarily at all in this conflict, but yeah. doing so economically. And I think that's the pathway we're going to continue to go in um, because I think the military options are very sticky and, and it's hard to imagine kind of going down that pathway because it'll escalate things very quickly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think that uh, 
at least for now, that I don't see the conflict necessarily coming to the United States, but I do think our European partners are impacted and they're going to continue to bear the responsibility of really hosting large numbers of displaced persons and 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 engaging diplomatically in Ukraine and Russian politics right now. Yeah. Uh, Gina, this has been so helpful. Um, I do want to ask you this, these last two questions is number one, what is World Relief doing um, on the ground in Ukraine right now? And then two, how can we be a part of this? How can we lock arms with World Relief and be a part of the work that you guys are doing? Yeah, so World Relief, actually, when we first um, knew that this conflict was erupting, we immediately started to identify partners on the ground whom we can work with directly to support them in their work. And so the challenge actually right now with Ukraine is that there are no official humanitarian corridors to leave Ukraine or to get in, which means that, yes, we can help refugees as they're fleeing and helping them in Poland and Romania and the surrounding countries. But really, there is no way to, to get in aid or to, to, wow. to uh -huh. have people escape. So the stories you're hearing these days is that people are being trapped without food and water for you know eight days, nine days, that even as President Zelensky is trying to get humanitarian quarters for these people to leave to be able to get food and water, mm -hmm. uh, the Russians are not agreeing to that. And so people are literally stuck. And so when you have a war, you have bombs falling, the bridges are out, the roads are stuck, there's no trains, literally people are stuck and perhaps going to suffer from food insecurity and, and, yeah. and, you know, loss of the essentials. So at World Relief, we've actually identified um, partners who are actually within Ukraine, who have operations there. And just um, in this past week, there was a 16 truck envoy that we supported that actually delivered essentials to a community in Kiev. And um, there's a refuge center there that we're working with to deliver this these food essential items. Um, and so that's one thing that we're doing is actually delivering assistance directly within Ukraine. Um, now we're also responding to refugees that are in neighboring countries. Poland is receiving the largest number, but Moldova is actually a smaller country, but per capita, they're receiving a higher number of refugees. Wow. So um, we're working with partners there and in Romania and Slovakia to also provide immediate assistance to refugees. And so um, we're actually, there are NGOs that we're working with. We are also, uh, working with part with partner churches. So mm -hmm. we're actually working with churches that are on the ground there as well. And so we would really encourage everyone and anyone um, to give to World Relief because we are operational, um, and working through partners on the ground there. Um, and that just leads me to the second point, which is that, you know, a lot of people are giving, you know, one-time amounts and, and that's wonderful, but really, if we are anticipating this conflict that is going to be lasting six months up to a year, even more than that, then, you know, monthly giving is really important mm -hmm. because it really helps us plan for a programmatic response on a very regular basis. And yes, we had this 16 truck envoy right now um, in Ukraine, but we're going to need to continue that support ongoing um, to support our partners there. And so monthly giving, people can go to worldbelief.org slash the path. Um, and you can join a community of monthly givers there, which in which we're we're giving directly and responding on the ground in Ukraine. Um, and so those those are just specific things that that folks can do to to stay engaged. I love that. so that money that they donate through that link will go specifically to the work you guys are doing with Ukrainian refugees and in, in the country. Yeah, well, so the path is a monthly giving program. So, okay, gotcha. um, but if you note that you want your money to go to Ukraine, um, we will direct that money to Ukraine. Yes, so we will that. make sure that. 
that goes there. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I think that's great. You guys will put all this in the show notes. Uh, you can look this up at jamieivy.com and uh, go there. Jenny, this has been super, super helpful. And you've answered a lot of questions that a lot of us um, are having all the time. I think one of the, the last questions I'd like to ask you is, one of the things I deal with, and I think a lot of listeners do as well, is like, how do I, where do I get my information? Like, what's reliable? What's true? Who, who should I be following? So what is your kind of encouragement towards us is like, how do we stay in the know um, as much as we need to or want to uh, from reliable sources? Yeah, so there is a lot of folks, I think, that are reliable sources of information. Um, I, again, I would say go to your 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 favorite humanitarian organization. So it could be World Belief, it could be another organization, but oftentimes they track and relay very um, solid information about what's happening. So I would definitely follow them because then they'll also tell you what they're working on and what they, yeah. there is a need for that we can respond collectively. Um, but I would also say there's a lot of good media sources out there that are reporting very factual information. So, um, you know, I follow NPR, the New York Times, CBS and others, and I think these are somewhat nonpartisan institutions, mm-hmm. media sources that are doing really good work reporting on the ground. Um, but also, if you want, you can follow UN agencies, so UNICEF, uh, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR. Um, these are all agencies that actually have a lot of good information that actually gives you real-time data on you know, hunger or the needs of children or refugees. So those are all ones that you can follow as well. Um, and then lastly, you know, there are um, Christian leaders. Um, I mean, Jimmy, I think you do a great job of highlighting, um, you know, and pointing to, to different sources. But uh, Woman of Welcome is a group that um, Jamie and I have both been plugged into that are really sharing information about especially displaced persons and really connecting it to not just what's happening there, but what's happening here. Uh, and so Woman of Welcome is, is one group that you can get plugged into. Um, and there's the National Immigration Forum, the Evangelical Immigration Table are all coalitions that are uh, doing important work in this space as well. So those are just a few resources for folks. Yeah, that's great. And you guys, I know you don't have time to write all that down. So we'll go ahead and put that in the show notes too for you guys that are listening later. Jenny, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you are a trusted resource for me uh, when I just go, what is going on in the world? And so I'm really grateful for you coming on and chatting with us today. Um, and we'll make sure you put all, we put all your information and world release information in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jamie. I appreciate it. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Thank you so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to give you, and every opportunity we get to point all of us to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is the number one way that people find out about our show. It's because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that will make us think, they'll make us laugh, and they'll always point us back to Jesus. And come find me other places on the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm over there at Jamie Ivy. And if you've never visited my YouTube page, you're going to want to go there. Have you ever listened to a show and wondered, I wonder what they look like? Well, go find us over there. It's jamieivy.com slash YouTube. 
The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics are by Amaya Savoy Easton. The show is edited by Angie Elkins. And I'm your host every week, Jamie Ivey. And goodness gracious, I love being here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.